The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. When you're looking for deals, check out ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in 20 minutes, I need to tell you about a new security threat affecting debit cards, not specifically credit cards, affecting debit cards that I don't even know if the banks are up to date on. And coming up a half hour from now, we need to talk about when you go to the doctor, not asking or pushing the doctor to give you a prescription med. We're going to talk that through in just 30 minutes. Right now I got a unusual thing to talk to you about, but it concerns a business, and it is a business, that most of us ignore till the time comes that a loved one has passed away, and that's the funeral business. And it is an industry that is going through a lot of change right now, a lot of it being driven thanks to the information at your fingertips on your cell phone or at a laptop where you can find out ways to save money. And in addition, people learn from each other. There are a couple of trends going on that I want you to have in the back of your mind at the time that you may end up responsible for taking care of the final affairs of a loved one, friend or family member, who has passed away or you're part of it, usually people have not planned out or thought through or made arrangements what they want to have happen. And so it's up to you to try to figure it out. But you know the individual, so you make your best guess. A lot of times out of sadness or guilt or whatever, we allow the funeral home to run the bills up on us. But more and more Americans are saying, nope, I'm not going to do that. It's better that the conversation take place while you're living with people who would be taking care of you after you pass away, that they know what your intention is. But there's lots of things to think about, including... Something that started in Canada probably 20 years ago in a meaningful way and now is spreading around the United States, and that's people doing what are known as green burials, where instead of doing some kind of line casket and having the body embalmed, there, by the way, there's no advantage or reason to have somebody embalmed. That's just a bunch of hooey that costs money. But one of the things that's becoming more and more in, if you want to be buried, is to have you go back to nature. And so people are buying low-cost coffins. And if you don't know this, you don't, there's no requirement. In fact, the law requires that you be able to buy a coffin wherever you want. There's no requirement you buy it from the funeral home, and they have to take it when you buy it elsewhere. You can go right on eBay and buy a coffin for delivery the next day. You can go to Costco 
and buy a coffin for delivery the next day. And generally, you'll pay a fraction of the cost. But now these biodegradable caskets tend to be a few hundred dollars, typically 300 or so dollars. You can buy those and be buried in one of those. And then over time, the casket does just that. It biodegrades, as do you, and you become part of Earth again at a very low cost. And there's a movement that has not come to the United States yet that is very popular now in a number of other countries, especially in Australia and New Zealand, apparently, where people are making their own coffins. They buy a coffin kit, and they cost less than I had heard. I saw an item in the New York Times that coffin kits cost about $150, $170. And you buy one, and you woodwork it, and you build the coffin, and then you have it for yourself or a family member. No, that's too much about death for a lot of people. But if you ignore figuring out what you want, your survivors are left guessing, and they may be grieving, and they may get taken advantage of, and the costs get way run up. I'm curious. I'm going to look right now. On eBay, they're all over the board in terms of cost. So you don't have to spend a lot. And remember, the funeral homes just, it puts them into contortions when I talk about you buying a casket third party. It's your money, your money. And remember, they cannot charge you extra if you get it on your own. Oh, the one other thing, funerals.org has so much info about how you can save money on this stuff. And in many areas of the country, you can even use group buying power to get the whole funeral at roughly 25 cents on the dollar what the regular price would be. Florence is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Florence. Hi, Clark. Thanks for all the wonderful advice. And now I'm seeing if maybe you think this is a good idea. I'm looking to buy a newer used truck. Uh, I found one at a dealer, and it if it checks out uh, with the VIN number, then I'm thinking of buying it. But I was thinking of buying it on my credit card so that I can earn airline miles with the purchase. And I pay my credit card off every month, so I don't pay any interest on it. Do you think that that would be a good idea to make a, an auto purchase with a credit card? It would be a great idea, except car dealers will usually cap you at $5,000 of the total purchase on a credit card. Okay. And the reason is is that if you pay by credit card, they have to pay discount points. And even on a large purchase like that, they may be paying a discount point of somewhere around 1.3%. Okay. Where if you pay by check or whatever method you would pay, other than that, they don't have a processing fee that they have to pay. So car dealers seem willing to take the hit up to the first five grand. But beyond that, I've never heard of a dealer allowing you to pay beyond five grand on a card. So at least you'd get reward points 
for the first $5,000, but after that, you'd have to write them a plain old ordinary check. Sure, no trouble. Well, that sounds great. We can get some miles that way. But if you're going to buy a used truck, because you mentioned the VIN and all that, yeah. any used truck, my main priority for you with a used truck, used car, used SUV, whatever, is that you make sure you have that vehicle inspected by a mechanic of your choosing as a condition to purchase. Because when you buy a used truck or any kind of used vehicle, the dealer is allowed generally under federal guidelines to tell you any story they want. And it could be a vehicle that's been in a bad wreck. It could be one that's had that has a bad transmission in it, bad engine, whatever. They don't have to tell you the truth about any of that. Wow. And that's why you need to have the vehicle inspected. And if the dealer says that he has gone through the trouble to do that already, could I check the reputation of the mechanic where he said he's done that? I would tell you that this is you're going to spend what twenty thirty thousand on a truck. Oh no! Looking at getting actually uh, something a bit older, probably under ten thousand. Okay. All right. Well, let's say it's nine thousand dollars just for argument's sake. You wouldn't want to take a chance that $9,000 goes down a rat hole. Right. So I would say even at that point, the true serum of you spending uh, what most often might be somewhere in the range of $150 to have the vehicle checked out by a mechanic of your choosing is cheap, cheap insurance. Sure. And especially when you're looking at something that's older with higher mileage, like you'll be looking at under ten grand. It's going to have a history to it. Right. And I want you to know that history before you spend your hard-earned money. Very good. Well, thanks for the advice. Sure. Good luck. I hope it it turns out to be a great, reliable, wonderful truck. Gloria is with us. Hi, Gloria. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. You're selling your home. Yes, it's our first home, and we don't know where to start. Well, let's start with what's on your mind. What are you curious about? Well, should we start with making the obvious repairs, or should we get a home inspection to see what's the priority for a seller or for a buyer? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll get- tell you, you mm-hmm. I love it when you go to sell a home to have a home inspection done because it creates so much trust in a business where people don't uh, have a lot of trouble trusting each other, right. that you hire an inspector and then you fix the things that the inspector says are wrong with your home. And I know real estate agents have different opinions on this. My opinion is that it's really good to to make that report available to a buyer and then have all the service tickets showing that the items the inspector found were taken care of. Okay. As for things that are obvious, that are maybe cosmetic or whatever, even if they're not the kind of things that would show up on an inspection, just take care of them because when people buy a home, they're buying their fantasy. You know, they're buying a dream. And if they see paint peeling off of something or whatever, that that dream just fades. And you want them to imagine their furniture in this room and their family watching TV in that room and stuff. You want them to feel when they come in that psychological connection. Okay. 
Great. And one last thing, I've heard two schools of opinion that you don't qualify, you cannot use a FHA loan on a second home. Is that correct? No, 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 no. Of course you can use an FHA loan on a second home. I mean, it okay. would be your first home. It'd be You'd be selling this one and buying another home, right? Correct. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that it's the second home you have ever owned. Okay. You're able to use an FHA loan, but... The home market, when did you buy the home you're selling? 2003. Okay. Wow. So you bought before the real estate bust, you rode out the bust, you've rode back up, and are you a, a head above water on value this point? Just barely. Well, you made progress, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So when you bought a home, if you bought with minimal down payment, FHA home loans were the likeliest source of funds. Today, that's just one possibility. And you very well may be able to go with a conventional loan with a relatively small down payment. It would depend on where you get the best rate, what has the lowest costs, all in combo. So when you're looking for your new home, it would be great if you talk to a, a credit union locally Mm-hmm. and talk to a mortgage banker and get quotes from at least those two sources, but I'd prefer for you to get more than just those two quotes, but at least start with those two. Okay, great. That's a great place to start. Thank you so much. Sure. Best of luck. I have a special warning for you on today's Clark Rageous Moment about a new risk to you if you go out and about shopping with what I call the piece of trash fake Visa or MasterCard, the debit card. You got to hear this new risk. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. The blogger Krebs on Security, who is considered to be the best expert in the world on payment system compromises, where a payment system at a retailer, an ATM, at a bank, or whatever, has been invaded by hackers or by scammers, has a new warning for you. You need to know that criminals have developed a new Bluetooth technology that has made it possible for them, if you use a debit card, a Visa or MasterCard debit card, at a retailer, and you use that in the terminal at the retailer, the criminals are able to capture both your debit card number and your debit card PIN. Duplicate that information almost immediately on a new press card and go shopping almost instantly or go to ATMs and empty out your account. And then you're left with the difficult task of having to prove to your bank that you didn't do any of those things because the crook has a duplicate of your card and has your pen. So your bank treats you as guilty till proven innocent. And in the meantime, your payments for things in your life are bouncing. And it's yet another weak link in the debit card. Know this. 
when you use a debit card, the risks to you are so high, and the bank is your enemy, not your friend, when that card is compromised. The banks have chosen to leave the security on the debit card at 1960s level standards. As they move to update credit cards, debit cards have been the lowest possible priority. And that by itself is Clark Rages. But now that criminals have figured out a way to exploit, you're using them at checkout at retailers and through a simple Bluetooth technology steal all your pertinent information. The risk to using a debit card has just gotten too great. You know, when you're a kid, there are a lot of things that you think exist. Unicorns, dragons, mermaids, you name it. When you're a kid, it's real. But when you find out later that they don't, well, it's kind of disappointing. Of course, as you get older, you get over the disappointment. But when you're looking to buy a car, there's nothing worse than finding the one of your dreams online, and then you find out later it doesn't really exist. It's not true. That's why at TrueCar, they show you real pricing on actual inventory. This isn't pricing offered to you by TrueCar. It's an actual VIN-based price from a TrueCar certified dealer in your area. Real prices. And these aren't just any dealers either. TrueCar certified dealers are a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency. They offer competitive prices and a faster, easier buying experience for you. It's a fact. True Car customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with the True Car certified dealers. And, on average, they save over $3,000 off the MSRP. So when you're ready to buy that dream car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and empowerment with knowledge that improves your life. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com, and we have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. When you go to the doctor, the first thing that many people expect from a doctor is whatever you've gone for that's ailing you you expect and we're conditioned to this as a patient you expect the doctor to write a prescription and then you're going to leave with that prescription and then in three days five days whatever things are going to be all better but doctors are pleading with patients to not pressure them to write those prescriptions. Because over and over again, we have a condition that, and I'm talking specifically about antibiotics, that won't be served by an antibiotic. So often, when we've got a cold or whatever, whatever it is, it's viral. And viruses don't benefit from an antibiotic. But we can be harmed by them. I saw an item in USA Today that the number of prescriptions written for kids that don't need them, 11 million in a single year, 11 million times 
a parent takes a child or a teen to the pediatrician and they get a prescription for their kid and they're feeding them the antibiotic and the kid gets better and so they think, oh yeah, it was necessary to have that antibiotic. But the reality is, most of the time, not. So I've got a challenge for you as a parent. Same thing I do as a patient when I'm at a doctor for myself. And when the doctor starts talking about a prescription, I ask, would it be better if I waited a while longer to take it? My primary care doctor, if I've got a cold or anything like that, he will not even consider writing a prescription till I have been sick for a minimum 10 days because he wants to avoid overuse of antibiotics and he really wants me to stress to you as a patient or as the parent of a child who you're taking to a pediatrician as a patient, please don't get that child or yourself on an antibiotic when it's not clear that you have something that can be treated by an antibiotic. Because again, most of the time when we have an episode, it's something that is viral and is better left alone. So what's the harm? What is the harm of having your kid take an antibiotic when he or she doesn't need it? The harm is that you develop drug resistance in them and that when they really do need an antibiotic, that it won't benefit them. And by the way, the same thing for you. Lee is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Lee, you want to talk to me about cord cutting and unlimited data plans and combination. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my call today. And my I want pleasure. to ask, ask a little bit more information about this extreme cord cutting. You had a report about it a couple of days ago. I have a data plan with unlimited video, and I could connect my phone directly to my TV with an HDMI cable. But you mentioned the other day about using a device like a Chromecast or something like that. To you, but it seems like that would use up a lot of data, and most of the unlimited plans are they can slow you down after either 22 gigs or 30 gigs. Wouldn't you burn through the data pretty quickly? That is a great question. So what happens if you go over the uh, 22 to 30 gigs, as a general policy with the cell phone providers, they engage after that with in traffic management or traffic optimization, which would be very unlikely to affect you in your own home unless you live in a very condensed urban area with high-rises all around you. Uh-huh. Because the traffic optimization is really about people who use an enormous amount of data that you are knocked down in uh, your use of the data network when the network's really congested right where you are at that moment. Okay, thank you. May I ask, uh, also, I understand that video can take something like three gigs per hour. To do the casting of that video to your TV, how many gigs per hour might that take? 
Would it be the same three gigs an hour? Or yes, because they dumb down the video content in most of these unlimited data plans to uh-huh. old-fashioned standard def. So I'm uh-huh. not aware that that projection would increase your data consumption at all because it's all about the quality of the streaming where on your phone, which the screen is small, you don't really notice that the video quality is not as good as you would have on a big screen. What you'll really notice is rather than data consumption is not as good a picture when it's projected onto a big TV. So this is a pioneering kind of quest to let your cell phone be your complete data plan. And I think it will work for people particularly who live alone or just a couple living in a home. I don't think it's the solution yet for a family. Patty's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Patty. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? Good, thank you. Patty, you want to go to a dude ranch. <laughs> Have you heard that term lately? No, that was so in when there was, there was the movie that Billy Crystal did oh, the right, series. Sure. What City was that Slickers. called? City Slickers. City Slickers. And <laughs> right after that came out, a big number of people were suddenly into going to dude ranches. Tells you the influence <laughs> of popular culture. And nobody ever asks about those anymore till you are calling me now. Well, you know, as a kid, I got to go twice, and it was so we had a great time. You know, all kinds of family fun, and I started looking into it for my own family. And gosh, the prices are huge. They're, they're almost four thousand dollars. They can be. I think the lowest one I found was maybe twenty five hundred dollars per person. So per person times four—that's pretty steep. Big money. <laughs> so you could go most anywhere in the world. For that week, you would spend at a dude ranch. Right, right. So not exactly roughing it, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, my wife took me to a dude ranch that she had been to, and we went back to it, I guess, about six years ago, and it was not roughing it, let me tell you. Oh, I mean, it's a great, fun time. It really is. I'm not, some of them are quite extreme. You can tell they have the Oh, you know, very, very fancy food and things like that. But, you know, most of them are still pretty true to the, at least what I experienced as a young kid. And, you know, but the prices, I'm sure they have lots of insurance prices to your, you know, bills and things to pay for that. But the horses, I'm sure there's... Especially very, the horses are very expensive to take care of. The staffing staffing levels are because of the irregular nature of being open just at most dude ranches open roughly four months a year the staffing Mm -hmm. needs are so expensive the place has to be maintained 12 months a year even though it's only generating revenue four months a year i mean it is a lot of people who own dude ranches you're not going to believe this well maybe maybe this will make sense to you a lot of them are for people who have a lot of money who have the dude ranch operation for the tax benefits that come with it and defray some of the expenses for them owning a ranch. Ah, that really makes a lot of sense, honestly. So if that's your cup of tea, that sounds like a great, yeah, that's a good idea. So uh, let's make it a great idea for you, for your family. Can I give you um, just a handful of suggestions? Oh, sure, anything you got. Right. Number one thing that can reduce your cost is to go the first two weeks of the season or the last three. A lot of the dude ranches give um, 
give early and late specials because okay. they're the weeks that they they try to stretch the season and they're not as busy the demand isn't as great and you tend to get better deals now the disadvantage is at the beginning of the season a lot of the staff being seasonal maybe the first year they don't quite know what they're doing yet those first mm-hmm. couple of weeks and at the end some of the staff has already peeled away and gone to their next seasonal job and people are kind of burned out from having dealt with the tourists all year all season right so you're not going to get as maybe as great an experience from the staff at the end of the season but you will get usually better deals better prices okay and sometimes there are no kids at all if it's a if it's something you want your kids to have other kids to play with the very beginning very end there may be no kids now some people look at that specifically as an advantage (laughs) that's true that's a good point though i wouldn't have thought of so thanks and then there are dude ranches that the prices are all over the place and you can't tell from their brochures or their electronic presentations on the web what they're really like i find that TripAdvisor is a really good companion to you helping you pick a dude ranch it is. It has a lot of great information on it. The only thing is it doesn't tell you rates on TripAdvisor because it's not a hotel. I think they they seem to be in a lot of associations with each other. Um, and so I think they try not to post their rates on TripAdvisor. Yeah, so you have to go to each website. But if you start at the reviews that people post when somebody's writing a review this is you know this place was so much cheaper than other ones but i mm-hmm. loved it or whatever you got to get in there dig in read the reviews and find the one that seems to be the right combination of the experience and maybe hitting a lower price point okay well i'll just continue to look at trip it's a great great uh, tool when you're traveling for sure so i wish i had like do this, do this, do this. You'll have a great trip and get a great price. This is one that does require more work. Krista is a, a dude ranch person. What do you well, have to say? I went to one um, with a group of women on a shoulder season. The, and this one doesn't allow children during shoulder season. Some of them I found don't allow kids at all um, during those shoulder seasons. But I was looking at this for my family, and I have sticker shock too. And I'm, what I'm thinking about doing is finding one of the ones that will allow you to go by the night and maybe just going for a couple of nights and then just staying like in a hotel or a VRBO place uh, near right, Yellowstone exactly. or something for the rest of it. Right. George joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, George. Hi, Clark. How are you doing today? Great. I hope you're having a good one. Yes, sir, I am. How can I serve you, George? Uh, Clark, i got a uh, kind of a credit question. Um, I have been an authorized user um, of an account that my father has for about uh, 15 years now, uh, and I've had my own cards for uh, seven or eight years now. I have ex- excellent credit, uh, right at about 800 um, Now, I'm just curious um, if I wanted to get rid of that uh, basically get my name off my dad's account, um, how that would affect my credit score. I know uh, age you have, If you have all that credit, credit you talked about, it won't affect you at all. Okay, so so the age of the credit, even though I've had that one a lot longer, wouldn't have any impact on no, it? No, if you've got a variety of credit and you have a FICO score around 800, okay. you're gold, what they call golden, and you're fine to eliminate the authorized user status, which is potentially 
good for both parties because if anything ever happened with either of you, it could cause some upset. So it's so easy to remove authorized user status. The card companies allow either you or your dad to remove the authorized status. Okay. Now, now one other question I had. Um, his or on his account, the uh, line, the credit line is significant. Uh, on the accounts that I have, the credit lines are not. I don't use my cards very often. So, Wait, how much of your credit, available credit are you using? Uh, well, I'm actually on Credit Karma right now. Looking, um, it says uh, on one of them it says four percent, and one of them it says one percent. Yeah. So but you're how, fine as long as the cards are active in your mix. And if you're using less than 10% of your available credit, which is where you have to be to have a score of around 800 or above, uh-huh. you're in great shape. And so giving up this authorized user status should not affect you. And depending on the issuer, you'll either have to just make a phone call and they'll send a letter confirming it to both of you, or some issuers rarely, but some will require that you write them. Okay. And then it will hopefully eliminate that authorized user status, which is absolutely what you want to be about doing. And uh, congratulations to you on your very low utilization rate of credit and your very high score. You know, you got a question for me. You can post it to an Ask Clark on Clark.com, and then we take them right here on the air. And Joel, who's the first Ask Clark you got? Clark, Tom wants to know, if I have cash to pay for uh, to pay down for a new car, should I do that or should I finance? The dealer's saying that we should take out a short-term loan. Why? No. The dealer makes a, makes a commission, makes a spread if they write the car loan for you. But if you have cash, keep it simple. Just pay that cash to buy the car. What you're earning on your cash is less even than today's very low interest rate car loan. So just keep it simple. Write a check. Clark Susan wants to know, what do you think about joining a homeowner's buying club? Is that a ripoff? Well, these organizations where you pay a big fee to join and then an annual fee, when I say big fee, usually in the range of $1,500 or so, that supposedly gets you the ability to buy things at wholesale plus a shipping charge, and then you pay an annual renewal fee each year, I think they're a complete waste of your money. I have never seen one that I was convinced that the items that you buy are a deal. And the reality is it's so easy in today's hyper-competitive retail environment, the ability to shop online and at so many different clearance-type retailers and supply houses selling items for homes if you're doing a renovation or improvement to a home – I would not spend the money. All right, and Juanita says, there's a website selling physical gold in coin form. What's your opinion of products like that? I'm not a fan of you buying gold coins or the big thing, the hot thing right now is silver coins. If you're interested in having gold because of your worries about the world, go look at my gold buying guide at ClarkHoward.com. It's not like anybody else's. I'm going to tell you how little you should spend on gold and how you should buy it if you choose to. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. 
When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. I'm going to tell you about an ugly ripoff in just a second. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Coming up in a half hour, there's a way that people whose credit isn't the greatest are able to get a more affordable auto loan. Somewhat controversial, but I want to tell you about it as an opportunity for you if your credit isn't quite where you want it to be and you need some wheels. Talk right now about something that's been a national scandal Life insurers have been cheating family members, survivors, out of the proceeds of life insurance when a loved one has died. Let me give you background. If an insurance company sells a life insurance policy to me, and I have it, I own it, and I have a designated beneficiary of that policy, When I die, that's supposed to go to whoever it is I've designated as a beneficiary. Typically, it'll be your spouse or family members or kids or whatever. And insurers know within 30 days when any insured has died. They subscribe to a database that allows them to be able to know when somebody dies because they're not doing it so they can pay you the life insurance proceeds. They're doing it so if they're paying any kind of living benefit like a disability policy or something like that, or there's an annuity they're paying for the remainder of your life, they know to stop paying you right away. So remember, they know when you died because it'll benefit them so they don't have to pay money anymore. But in a terrible, terrible scandal, it turned out that insurers were keeping it secret from families when they knew an insured had died and were just keeping the money. To the tune of, best guesstimate, somewhere close to $8 billion just for some of the large insurers in the country that they were absconding with the money due to your survivors. I think there was some whistleblowing that went on. Then there were some state investigations that took place. 
And now insurers are having to pay back all that money they stole. The thing is that there's nothing in the payments they're making that keeps them, that takes away the incentive for insurers to abscond again. So what I want you to know is that if you do have a life insurance policy on your life, make sure that whoever is supposed to be the beneficiary of that knows it exists. You know, if you have important papers for the person who's going to settle your estate when you die, make sure that in there you have disclosure about things like life insurance. And because sometimes you're not going to want to tell because it may be kids. You don't want them to be um, aware that such money exists. Maybe they'd lose some uh, some incentive to work as hard or whatever. There are any of a number of reasons why a parent would keep a child, especially a minor child, from knowing a policy exists. So make sure somebody knows because it could be the policy you've been paying for that the insurer decides well, nobody knows about it. We're just going to steal. Cindy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Clark. So you're finishing college. What's your degree in? I am elementary education. Going to be a teacher, huh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, good. How can I help? Well, I've been getting notices in my email and in regular mail about loan because uh, my loans are with the government, so I've been getting notices about them being able to wipe out my loans or forgive them or lower the interest rate, and I just wanted to find out if those are legitimate. So I'll tell you what is legit, and don't believe any mailings you get from any private sources at all. Mm-hmm. But if you have only federal loans and you end up being an elementary school teacher, you're eligible for a couple of federal initiatives. One will greatly reduce what minimum payment you have to make per month as a teacher. So Uh you'll be considered to be current at very, very, very low monthly payments. Okay. In addition, if you teach in an elementary school for 10 years or or in any school for 10 years, the entire remaining loan balance of your student loans will be forgiven. Oh, wow. Okay. So you set that up. It's a program called Pay As You Earn, uh-huh. and you set up Pay As You Earn with the federal government directly when you graduate from school, and you'll have a six-month period that is your period that you're on payment holiday. Uh-huh. When that's over, you'll go into Pay As You Earn. Automatically? No, you set that up. If you go to ed.gov, ED for U.S. Department of Education, ed.gov, go to the section for borrowers Uh for student loans, and it'll walk you through um, almost in simple English, step-by-step, how to set up your payment schedule based on pay-as-you-earn, and then explain how you progress over the years to your remaining loan forgiveness after 10 years. Oh, great. Okay, so I should ignore the private... Ignore anything you're getting 
from any private mailing that says, contact us, we're going to help you with loan forgiveness on your student loans, those things go in the circular file. I got it. Because you took the loans out direct from the federal government, and you will do your payment plan with the federal government. Okay, okay. So congratulations on getting your degree, and I hope you enjoy being a teacher. What grade do you want to teach? I'm thinking like third or fourth. Uh, Those are such sweet, sweet ages. Hope you have a great time. Linda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Linda. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Linda. You have a question about your credit card debt. Yes, I do. I have a credit card with a balance of $1,900, but the interest rate is 21%. Ooh, that's ugly. Yes, it's very high. It's very scary every month when I see that bill. (laughs) But what I would like to know is, what is the best credit card with a 0% interest rate for like the 12 or 18 month time frame? Well, first of all, do you know what your credit score is right now? Because you're going to need a really good credit score to get the very best balance transfer offers. Mm, It's about 648. Okay, so... I can't sugarcoat this. You're not going to qualify for one of the really screaming deals on the balance transfer. Okay. Are you a member of a credit union? Yes, I am. Have you been to the credit union to see if they'll offer you some form of balance transfer? Uh, No, I haven't. I would get in there and see if there's something they can do for you. Because credit unions use sliding scales on their interest rates and they may have an offer that will save you a meaningful amount from the 21 percent but you won't be able at at that kind of score number to be able to get the zero percent balance transfer with no balance transfer fee those offers the banks reserve for people who are are really very very high level, like 770 or above credit scores. Oh, I see. Okay. But get into that credit union because even though you can't do something like that, you may well have a chance of doing something that will be better than that 21%. How much are you able to put towards it each month? I would say now about maybe $100 a month. Okay. So that means you'll be out of debt in 28 months, somewhere right in there, I guess. And that's good. So stay on that path. And if you can get a lower rate from the credit union, maybe you'll get that number of months cut down to more like 22 or 23. Good luck to you. Beth is with us. Beth. Hey, um, I have a question for you today. Yes, Um, ma'am. I know that paying off your credit cards um, is a great thing, but I've heard that actually closing the account can have a negative effect on your credit score. You are correct. So um, so I'm trying to get down, you know, to just one. Oh, don't do it. I've got, don't do it? <laughs> don't do it. You want to okay. have a minimum two active major credit cards. A major is Discover, Visa, MasterCard, or Amex. Okay. You want to have I two do major cards and not from the same like some people will say well i have two cards from chase or i have two cards from who knows who you want to have your credit from two different financial institutions okay and this is definitely a noah's ark rule that you want to have the two major cards and 
even though you paid this one off, I want you to put it on a calendar, whether you keep a paper one or an electronic one, that you remember to use that card twice a year. can be for a simple, you know, you go buy a lunch for $3 or $10 or whatever, and you just use it or buy gas one time on the card a couple times a year and just pay it off when the bill comes in. It keeps it active in your credit mix and shows it as part of your active available credit profile. Okay. So if I, okay, so I have, I have four. And so you're good. Even if I pay them all off, just keep them, hold on to them. That's right. Because there's a point at which you will see that the, it's kind of like a curve that having too many cards will start to impact you a little bit negatively. But having too few cards impacts you terribly negatively. Okay. So four is a is a rock solid kind of number to have cards that are active major cards. Okay. Uh, then one follow up. What about the department store ones? Um, department I have one store of those. cards are kind of junky. Right. So if you've paid off a department store card and you want to just let it go stale, that's fine. The, okay. I don't even say you should close it necessarily, although we've had several people post on Clark Stinks that you should close those department store accounts because a criminal may get a hold of the number and use it and have fun, and then you have to deal with that. That is an outside risk, but not a major one. So I think you just okay. let them just live. But, okay. But they're... His significance or importance in your life goes to about zero when they go inactive for a while. But the major credit cards, those are the ones that are core and key to helping you with what's known as your ratios, the amount of the debt you, the um, credit limit you have versus the amount you've charged on it. You want that as low as possible. And two, that you pay your bills on time. You do those two things and you've passed two-thirds of what makes up your credit score. It's time for our segment, Survey Says. This is where we look at some of the latest surveys and studies so that I can give you some quick, fun facts for your wallet or your life. Let's start with this. According to the latest study from AAA, three-quarters of us are afraid of riding in a self-driving vehicle. This is one of those things where until you've experienced it, it is terrifying. But let me tell you, as somebody who's now driven over 15,000 miles in a partially self-driving vehicle, once you get used to one, you can't go back. And how about where the best places and worst places in America to live might be. U.S. News & World Report has released theirs based on overall health care, education, crime, opportunity, government, blah, 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 a variety of factors that make somewhere great to live overall versus where it would be not so great to live and Number one on the survey, Massachusetts. Don't the surveyors know how cold it is there? New Hampshire's number two. Minnesota's number three. And the only state I've not been to in America, North Dakota, is number four. 
Washington State's number five. So where are the worst places to live, according to this survey? The absolute worst place to live in America? Not according to me. This is according to the U.S. News & World Report survey of all the various quality of life factors. Louisiana followed in second place as worst to live Mississippi. In third place, Arkansas. Fourth place, Alabama. Now, remember, I didn't come up with these ratings. U.S. News & World Report did. The full list is linked at Clark.com. And survey says... We sit too much at great potential harm to our health. Survey done by the Centers for Disease Control found that when you sit a whole lot, you are going to potentially shorten your life and harm your health. And the numbers for various forms of illness that you can have, chronic illnesses and all the rest, are so convincing that if you sit on your rear end all day, stop doing it. I stand when I do the radio show. I stand at a standing desk when I work at home. I have side-by-side. I'm so obsessed with this. I'm sorry. I have a treadmill desk that I walk on while I work, and then I have just a straight standing desk next to it. That's how much I believe for my health and for yours, you want to stand and not sit. That's it for today. If you want to learn more about these fun facts, go to the on-demand section of Clark.com and click on show notes. Hey guys, David Smalley here, reminding you to check out Dogma Debate on the Podcast One app, iTunes, and basically everywhere else you could possibly hear a podcast. Dogma Debate is basically a way for you to peek in on conversations you've always wondered about. Say a hardcore anti-gay preacher meets an atheist who knows the Bible like the back of his hand, or a far-left social justice warrior meets a different kind of liberal who doesn't want to join in on the riots. On Dogma Debate, I talk to people who completely disagree with me, and I let them tell me why they think I'm wrong, why I should be on their team, and why they take such an extreme stance. And sometimes you'll just hear me hanging out with like-minded people and laughing during segments like Republicans Say the Darndest Things or Fact Check Yo Mama. It all happens on Dogma Debate, right here on Podcast One. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com is our bargain site. Go check it out if you like to save money. The car business is going through a rough patch right now with people going delinquent on car loans. And the number of vehicles that are being repossessed is rising dramatically. And so it's become more difficult for someone with not the best credit to borrow money to buy a car. And so there's a controversial practice that a number of lenders do that I am a big fan of. If a credit union or a bank is willing to make a loan to you and you haven't shown the best history with credit, it's enormously expensive for them if you are delinquent on that loan, they need to repossess it, 
and they can't find you, they can't find the car. So in order to make a loan happen, when your credit isn't the best, they may offer you an option where they'll make the loan or offer you the loan at a lower interest rate if you allow them to track you with a GPS device that they implant in the car. Now, these things vary in sophistication. Some of them just identify where you are. And in the event you haven't been paying, it's really easy for them to find the vehicle and come repo it. Which, why would you want to help them? Because if they're afraid of making a loan to you, and it improves their confidence in making the loan to you, if they know they can know where the vehicle is and come and get it if you don't pay for it, that to me sounds like a worthy trade. There are even devices that if you fall behind on your car, they can keep your car from starting remotely. They can shut the car off to get you to come pay. There's a system that will give you a three-day warning, giving you three days to get in to the bank or credit union to make your payment, and then your car is not in danger of being shut off. I think these things are great. I know there are people who look at them as unusually intrusive and punitive, but think about it from, uh, you be the lender for a second, okay? If you are being asked by somebody to make a loan and they have shown with past loans that they've had trouble staying current, making their payments, are you going to make them a loan? Remember, a car is collateral for that car loan. You'd feel a whole lot better making that loan if you knew you'd be able to come find that collateral. So if you are credit challenged, as they say, think about it and see if you could get a better deal or get the yes to a loan that you can handle simply by saying, track me if you want. And Vicki is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Vicki. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Vicki, you are going to Israel. Yes, I travel there about once a year. And I noticed on the last flight from Tel Aviv back to the States on the flight map that one way from Tel Aviv back here was, it was probably around 10,000 miles. But when I look into my account for this airline, they're only giving you less than 6,000 of those miles. I can explain. That's been something that has been upsetting to people for years and years. You know, if you go to one of the things like FlightAware, where you can track a flight, any of the, the flight tracking apps or websites... Right. They'll show you two numbers for a flight route. And one of them is direct, and the other is as you actually fly. And so direct is completely different than 
the number of miles that the aircraft is actually in the sky. So airlines take the exact perfect mathematically impossible routing, and that's what they award you miles on. Wow. So there's no debating it with them. They're only going to give you as the crow flies miles. Right, because airlines are able to set up whatever rules they wish on their Mm. frequent flyer program. You know, as of late, pretty much every airline has devalued their miles, not by saying, well, you have 100,000 miles and now we're only going to give you, we're taking that down to 70, but they've done the same thing by saying, okay, that award you used to cash in for 60,000 miles is now going to be 85,000. Yeah. So know that the way frequent flyer mileage programs are set up the house always wins you know how vegas the house always wins oh yeah it's the same thing with frequent flyer miles and they all use the official guide of the if you drew a perfect line from point a to point b that's what they're going to award you in miles wow 60 percent of the time that you actually fly that's interesting okay well thank you so much i'm not telling you what you want to hear (laughs) no you're not they had already told me i was hoping you could help me do something about it well i'll tell you you asked me what i would do about it here's what i would do about it only buy the cheapest fare where you're going regardless of airline and get off the frequent flyer treadmill because they're playing us. They're playing us for fools. Okay. And frequent flyer miles are fool's gold. Tom is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Tom. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Tom. You're interested in buying a television. Well, it's more like I'm trying to decide whether or not to keep my cable, because the cable bill is so high. And I was looking into if there's any other alternative. I heard there's antennas you can get. Um, I'm just so tired of paying that bill. Are you about eighty a month for pay TV? Yes. Yeah, eighty. I think eighty-two is the most recent figure I saw on the average. So you're right at average. If you yeah. are willing to inconvenience yourself, you can drop that a ton. Okay. And I'm going to give you the highlights of the best things to do. One is: Do you have a uh, a nice flat screen TV? Yes. Based on where you live, you may be able to hook a digital antenna up to it and get possibly double uh, dozens of local channels for free through the thin air and get a better picture than you get right now from your pay TV provider wow. and not pay anything for them. There's a website called antennaweb.org where you can put in your exact street address And it'll show you how many channels and how strong a signal you can get with just a basic antenna, one you put in your attic or one you put on your roof, and eliminate a big chunk of change you pay a month. But if you want a lot of programming, you're not going to get enough just from broadcast channels because we do less than half our watching on them. Right. There's a new product from the same people who own Dish Network called sling tv where you get the highlights of pay tv for twenty dollars a month including in that espn and espn2 and uh not a huge number of other channels but enough they think that you'll be happy 
with Sling TV. That's amazing. I would love to call them up and see what I can get. Yeah, go to um, the website is sling.com, S-L-I-N-G.com, and you can see what you get for it, and you can project those channels onto your TV pretty easily with simple gizmos like Roku that'll put it on your TV. And then for roughly $8 a month each, you could do Netflix, you could do Hulu Plus, you could do Amazon Prime, and one, two, or if you're a TV nut, all three of those would get you massive amounts of television on your schedule, and you'd still spend a fraction. If you spent 20 for Sling, 24 for all three of those, you'd still be at half of what you're paying right now for pay TV. But I don't know that anybody really needs all three of those add-ons of Hulu Plus and the Netflix and the Amazon Prime. Probably one of those three would be plenty. Linda's with us. Hello, Linda. How are you? Hello. I'm doing fine. Thank you for taking my question. Well, I'm glad to have you. How can I help you? You're buying a car? Yes. My husband and I are buying a brand new pickup truck. It has been ordered and will be delivered probably sometime late next week. Our question is, when we go to pay for the truck and pick it up, We've heard, we haven't bought a new car in a long time or a vehicle, we've heard that we're going to be offered a lot of extras. And we've read on the Internet about buying uh, your site, your website, for instance, about buying the um, additional service and maintenance. So we understand your, your point of view on that. But I couldn't find anything on the interior and exterior protection that they're going to offer. <laughs> <laughs> you said that so beautifully. So that in the slang of the trade behind your and my back is referred to as a pack. And it's a phony charge for something that is absolutely useless and worthless to you. <laughs> the, the exterior protection usually is a glorified wax job for the car. Yes. And the interior is essentially, uh, what's that stuff they spray on fabric to, like, kids that stain fabric? Can I use use the name? Yeah, sure. Scotch Guard? Yeah. Scotch (laughs) Guard. So basically, they charge you $300 to put Scotch Guard on the interior of the vehicle, and they yeah. charge you usually six or seven hundred dollars to put wax on the exterior of the pickup truck. Those it's just completely a ripoff. There is no legitimate reason or purpose for you to agree to any of that stuff. Let me tell you another one they'll try to pull on you. Mm-hmm. It's another pack is vehicle etching. Have you seen that one? No. They'll say, you know, car theft is such a huge problem, and and these pickup trucks are in so much demand, and people love to steal them. So we, for $299, will etch the vehicle identification number in the windows. So if somebody scratches it off the engine or whatever, it will still be identifiable. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, so... All that stuff they try to get you to do, the answer is no, 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 and thank you. Don't do any of it.
Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Clark.com is our website. And if you happen to be joining today's show late, go to Clark.com slash on demand where you can catch up on anything you've missed. Mike's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Mike, you got a mark on your credit that's messing with you. What's the story? Hey, Clark. Yeah, I had uh, getting ready to refinance the house. I thought I would check all three of my uh, credit reports, which I did. And I had a gas card that I opened back in 2000. I had some financial troubles in 2001, 2002. It went to collections. If my memory serves me correctly, I settled uh, with that for less than the balance. The balance was, you know, three or four hundred bucks. So anyway, I, when I checked my uh, all three credit reports, are showing this as a charge off, uh, uncollectible, skip debt uh, with a balance of three hundred and thirty dollars. So I called the gas company. They said, no, we sold all of our accounts to uh, one of the big uh, credit companies or big banks. I called them. They said, no, we sold them to another big bank. And I called them, and they said, we don't show that you've ever had an account. We, you know, we don't know what happened to it, but we can't confirm that you had an account. So I've got letters. I've sent that to all three credit reporting agencies. I've disputed it multiple times in writing online, and one of them shows a zero balance. The other two uh, show that I still have $331. I'm willing to write a check. I, There's nobody you can write a check to in that, that case. You know, if I owe it, who? and they say, well, we've confirmed it. I'm like, who? No, no. Let me tell you how it works. Okay. This is one of the things the credit bureaus do that, in my book, is a violation of the law. All they do, their quote-unquote investigation, is they send an electronic transmittal to whoever put the item on your credit, whichever of these three outfits you're talking about, put the item on your credit. And then if they say, if they do what's called verify it, meaning they say, yep, that's a valid debt, that concludes the credit bureau's investigation because there isn't one. All they are is, is they transmit to the credit grantor, doesn't matter what proof you have, whatever the credit grantor says is what happens. That's why when you dispute a debt during the 30-day period, you have to contact whoever it is who they're verifying with and say, hey, come on, you know you shouldn't re-verify this. This does not exist. Now, the only way ultimately, and believe it or not, it's worth it to do this, is you send each of them a letter that you intend to sue them, each of the two credit bureaus that have this listed on there improperly. Uh You send them a letter that you're going to sue them if they don't remove this item from your credit. What do you think, and this is the one that I have on here, everything else shows good, what do you think that costs me in points on a credit score? It's worse than that. Lenders will not allow you to close with that outstanding. It's very frustrating because I will write a check for the 330 bucks. And there's nobody for you to write a check to. I know, I know. So that's why once you send the letter to the credit bureaus that they need to remove it or you're going to sue... Then they'll say, well, what do you really want? You say, I want nothing but this item removed from my credit. And you tell them everything you got. And then their uh, legal counsel, their internal legal counsel, because they probably won't send it to outside counsel, will then say, okay, we'll take care of that. Because they don't want, I mean, they're in the business 
of multiple transactions, millions of people. They don't really care if the reports are accurate, but they also don't want to end up getting sued. And, uh, I mean, what an interesting thing. You're happy to pay money, but you can't even find who to pay money to. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. I'm Rob Cisternino, the aptly named Rob Has a Podcast, where we're creating fun, smart conversation around reality TV games like Survivor. And this March, Survivor Game Changers is finally here. Join me weekdays for episode recaps, player interviews, and of course, your feedback. So if you're ready for a game change in your own Survivor experience, download Rob Has a Podcast at podcastone.com on the Podcast One app or subscribe on iTunes. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbour of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, they never seemed to speak back to you. It was just like kept themselves to themselves and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.